Will the shift to a more consumer-centric healthcare environment shape a revolution in digital health and wellness? We'll find out in this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is sponsored by MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions for benefit advisors. Local, regional, and national advisors rely on this affordable, easy-to-use, real-time search engine to find their target prospects. For more information, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. We're very excited today to be speaking with Jonathan Anders, who's the Executive Vice President for Business and Corporate Development for Health Jibe, and also somebody that I know as an industry thought leader thought it would be really great to get some insight into what he's been working on and also into how internet devices and internet connected devices are going to start changing in a real serious way the health and wellness profile. So with that preamble, good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, David. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you spending some time with the Shift Shapers audience. Before we get into a lot of the really cool details, tell us a little bit about your background. So I'm coming up on about 25 years in the industry and probably like most, started off in the individual world doing life insurance or disability and planning and quickly um, migrated into the employee benefits world, calling on people during the day, meeting with business owners and just taking a, a real interest in healthcare. It was coming off the time when I had a small business with my uncle, didn't necessarily have health insurance at the time and was rolling the dice like a lot of what uh, society calls young invincibles. And was playing basketball and actually tore my ACL. And it was at a time when we had the old pre-existing condition clause in healthcare. So I just kind of stayed off of it for a while, got into the uh, business, actually got a, a core benefit plan. Whether it was dumb luck or divine intervention, just kind of migrated more towards employee benefits and, and chose to, to make a career out of it. Interesting how we all take different paths and, you know, you kind of look back and wonder how you got to where you are, but it's good that we all evolve. Speaking of evolution, are you working in what I, we've all been hearing an awful lot about what people call the internet of things? Is is that the kind of space that you're working in? Yeah, I think that as a result of a lot of moving parts right now in healthcare, whether it was facilitated by healthcare reform, accelerated by some of the language and the documentation or just the real growth and acceleration of the application of the internet and or technology and internet of things, there really seems to be a change in the way we operate as individuals. I was talking to a colleague of mine a couple of months ago, and we were just kind of reminiscing in the area of technology. And when I first started Working at a hotel, and I was working in the accounting department, I remember putting the roll of paper in the fax machine because you got an alarm that would beep when you ran out of paper because we were getting reports from different states. And now we've got so many touch points in technology right now, and it's a way of life, and we have to figure out how to embrace it, how 
to manage it, how to live with it, really have that adoptive mindset on how we can do more with the same amount of time that, that everybody else has in their life. And yet we all have what you and I have spoken a couple of times. We, we all have what you refer to, and I think it's a great phrase, as daily digital routines already in our lives, don't we? Yeah. And, you know, I think while there may be a lot of differences depending on geography, occupation, income, we all seem to rely on cell phones and technology. We probably get up in the morning and, and look at that. We text one another. We make sure our children are okay. We have home offices. We have offices in our car. We have Starbucks, which is the destination between home and office. And everybody seems to be using and or leveraging technology. So we kind of looked at that and said, everybody has a habit or pattern that they're accustomed to that keeps them connected with the points of interest that are relevant to them, whether it's work, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's information, whether it's entertainment. And so we see that continuing to increase going forward from a mobile presence. And I think in the next couple of weeks, you're hearing discussions about Apple releasing new technology and Samsung releasing new technology. So I think it's here to stay. We just have to figure out how to simplify it. When you talk about new technology, I mean, I think that the piece around wellness that most people may know about is, is Fitbit, but Google X Labs either is building or has built or has a prototype of a contact lens that diabetics can use where it measures the glucose level in tear fluid and reports that back to devices. Is that the kind of stuff you're talking about? I think that, David, there's a lot of innovation going on right now. And I think there are pros and cons and maybe even perhaps unintended consequences. So, you know, it seems like health uh, and health care kind of carries with it that complexity of individualization, protection of information. I only want certain data going certain places and I want to control where that goes and I don't want it to be misused or mismanaged. And so I think that that's going to be a bigger challenge going forward from a protection perspective. And then how all of these entities kind of play in the sandbox together from an interoperability perspective. But digital innovation is growing. There's a great website that I would encourage listeners to go to. It's called The Story of Digital Health. And it really helps to describe all of the different aspects of digital health and the movement and the growth. And so while there's a lot of cool tools out there, I think it's ultimately going to be up to the consumer to drive that adoption revolution. And I think it's going to be key to figure out really how to use it, not just to have it at the end of the day. Isn't it amazingly cool to be able to talk about consumers in the same breath that we talk about healthcare? We haven't been able to do that for in any large way for quite a long time. Do you think that healthcare reform has been a driver in this push towards individualization and uh, taking more control over our own wellness rather than having it be a top-down kind of program that employer might sponsor? Yeah, I, I do. I think when you look at the aspects of the legislation, I mean, obviously, depending on what side of the political table you sit on, there are pros and cons to it. But there are certain aspects inclusive in the reform that really put an emphasis on wellness. And I think that was a starting point for potential acceleration. Wellness programs, depending on the degree, have been around for years. It's just that healthcare reform, I think, accelerates the discussion because it introduces the potential 
to put in premium differentials. And there is, I think, one of the ingredients to success and engagement. While most employers are out there in the realm of participatory wellness programs and doing what I call providing things and stuff to complement their benefit plan, the other aspect to healthcare reform wellness is outcomes-based. And while I think there's a little trepidation from employers, and that probably teeters on a little more of the big brother approach or someone looking over your, your shoulder, I think there's a happy medium there somewhere, David, that we have to figure out together because consumers, I believe, are the most powerful force in our market environment. But to your point earlier, they've kind of been on the outside looking in and ask the employer to go out and find a product, to work with the delivery system, and then to transfer the risk to a care. Got to figure out a way to get them in the game in the very same way that automobile insurance companies like Progressive have said, we'll give you insurance, but if you put this little digital device under your dash and we can see your driving habits and we see that you're a better risk, then we can share in that with you from from a premium or cost perspective. So a lot more complexity in healthcare, but I think similar mindset or discussion and strategy as it relates to both parties have to have some skin in the game, if that makes sense. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, working on outcomes is critically important. You know, as Peter Drucker paraphrasing poorly, you know, if, if it can't be measured, it didn't happen and you can't manage it. And ultimately, all of this is just great, as you call it, things and stuff, unless it can start having an impact on cost. But that's a great jumping off point because when you talk about consumers and individuals and melding them along with this technology, they tend to, I guess, to drop into two basic groups, the motivated healthies and then people who have chronic care that chronic conditions or multiple chronic conditions that are being managed. So how do you change behaviors within those two groups? Million dollar question. And I think it's a lot of trial and error. I think it's a lot of understanding of the various cultures that exist amongst employers. But we really try to break it down in two areas, extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. And um, I mentioned the, the website earlier, the story of digital health. There's another gentleman by the name of Daniel Pink. And if you go on YouTube, you can see some of his videos that talk about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. But we feel that to bridge the gap and to drive engagement, that we have to implement some aspect of behavioral economics. I think it's fundamentally simple to say that people either act out of inspiration or desperation. And so you're either inspired to say, hey, I want to take hold of my health. I want to live longer. I want to do whatever. I want to use these devices, whatever choices it is for whatever reasons. The other side to that is, oh my gosh, my brother had a heart attack, or oh my gosh, my brother just had a doctor's visit and he's got diabetes, or you know, hypertension. So I think the issue is inspiration or desperation aligned with behavioral economics to try to drive engagement and have people have more of a vested interest in health uh, the same way as they do creating wealth. While we have a credit score, we don't have a health score. And I just don't think that we've totally figured that engagement piece out. But that's one of the things that we're diligently working on with others to try to solve that problem. Now a word from our sponsor, MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions. 
Are you wasting valuable time searching for qualified leads? The MyEdge prospecting solution makes it easy to research, find commissions, premiums, fees, and see all the current lines of coverage an employer is reporting. Why not use a targeted 5500 prospecting solution that was designed specifically for benefit advisors? MyEdge supplies the data that counts when you need to research prospects or learn what competitors are selling in your market. And learning to use MyEdge is fast and easy. When your prospecting data is accurate and with real-time updates, you'll spend less time researching and more time selling. To learn more about this innovative prospecting solution, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. As we move from wellness, if you will, 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0, what things do you focus on if, if you're going to try to create that engagement and still create those behavioral economic changes? What are the things that you focus on? And let's narrow it down to just, I know there's loads of different items you can focus on. So let's narrow it down to the things that you, the areas you're specifically working on. Yeah. So I think, again, going back to healthcare reform, it's a great question. There, there are really a lot of different aspects of momentum taking place. You've got the movement towards patient-centered medical homes, accountable care organizations, integrated care, coordination of care. And we see a lot of movement on the delivery side to make sure that once someone accesses the system, that they do it in the most efficient way for the most effective spend with the greatest emphasis on quality and outcome. And so all those initiatives are taking place on the delivery side. Where we're trying to focus is more on the lifestyle-oriented changes that perhaps preclude people from getting in the delivery system to begin with. So one of the popular areas of interest right now is something called metabolic syndrome. And really, David, it's kind of a cluster of risk factors, whether it's excess body weight, high blood pressure, cholesterol, triglycerides, that together lead to serious health problems, including diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. The interesting aspect about metabolic syndrome, whether you go on the American Heart Association, American Lung Association, WebMD, it says the good news about metabolic syndrome is that it can be controlled largely with changes to your lifestyle. So therein lies the ability to incorporate some of these digital devices to simplify them in the individual's daily digital routine to a point that they're conscious so that ideally we can help the patient-provider relationship and really try our best to control what we can but allow the delivery system to diagnose and treat with efficiency what we can't treat through lifestyle and behavioral economics, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I wonder if the last numbers that I saw was that health and wellness products in the area you're talking about accounted for $3.3 billion in revenue in the United States alone. And the projections are, are staggering. The projections are that by 2018, according to the Consumer Electronics Association, that we'll be at $8 billion. Is some of that being fueled by the aging out of the population and some of the remote health as opposed to just the wellness things that you're talking about? I think it's a combination. I mean, we have partnered with a telehealth vendor to really help raise awareness or educate participants about metabolic syndrome. You're also seeing a lot of large self-funded health plans bring in telehealth as a cost-effective measure. So we've gone from you know, elevating co-pays or increasing co-pays to emergency room 
lowering them to urgent care. And now the next step from a digital health perspective is telehealth. I think you couple that with, as you alluded to, the aspect of remote monitoring. So there was a great article a while back in Atlanta, Georgia Business Journal that talked about a hospital that gave a wireless scale to certain geriatric patients. And they had somebody monitor that weight information. And the reason they did it was upon discharge, they would give it to elderly patients. And they noticed that if there was a rapid increase in weight, it typically corresponded to fluid in the lungs. And through the proper education and intervention, avoided a readmission, at which point they weren't going to get paid for. So I think those kind of aspects of use of digital health, coupled with the variety of aspects that are included in digital health, are probably what got to the $8 billion of expected spend in the not-too-distant future. As we wrap up here, we've got a couple of minutes left. I always like to ask all of our guests to kind of think about the future. And so here's, I guess, for me, what the real question is long-term. And you may have some better inkling, I hope you do, than I do, but I think it's a compelling question. Do these devices have the opportunity to change the underlying structure of plans? Or, Or put another way, do you think that as we move into the future, this kind of practicing will be transformative for the healthcare markets? I think it has the potential to be. I don't want to be too naive to think it's utopia that, you know, everybody will have a fitness tracker on their wrist, a wireless scale in their house, a blood pressure cuff. Those that are diabetics will have wireless glucometers. There'll be a bunch of data geeks sitting in doctor's office looking at information. But I do think that it has the ability to create some dramatic impact as it relates to controlling healthcare costs. And let me give you an example. So, you know, going back to the Peter Drucker statement, you know, you can't manage what you can't measure. And more importantly, there are ID card carrying individuals at employer groups that haven't been to the doctor for several years. So to have the ability to assess that risk in an environment where prevention under healthcare reform is covered at 100%, it gets back to the point of people really don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect. So to the point that we can start influencing people and leveraging the data, I think we can have a profound impact on cost. And we really put the consumer back in the middle of the equation versus this iron triangle working on their behalf. So when adoption increases, uh, influence changes. And so in phase one, there are really places where people can go to buy insurance. But my hope is in phase two, they get more strategic and tactical in managing risk because that's going to be the bigger value proposition, not just a place to buy a product online, but how can you help me improve what's in my control and then help me to navigate what's out of my control at point of crisis or point of need. So my hope is that we can get there with consumer help, but there's going to be a a great need for adoption. And that's really the, the mode that we're in right now. Jonathan Anders, Executive Vice President of Business and Corporate Development for Health Drive. Thank you for a fascinating conversation. Again, we appreciate you spending time with the Shift Shapers audience today. David, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I enjoy speaking with you. 
more information about this episode or about any of our earlier episodes and to learn how to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode, go to our website, shiftshapersonline.com. While you're on the site, leave a comment and register to be part of the Shapers community. You'll be the first to learn about upcoming specials like exclusive webinars and content you can use to take your business to the next level. Again, thanks for joining us for today's episode. And remember, you have the power to shape the shifts in your business.